Okay, please uh, take your seats. So we're back to our theme again. If we can have the first slide, please, Tom. Um, our theme of Ascend. So I was quite uh, worried about John this week because uh, not only does he not seem to know whether it's morning or evening, but uh, he doesn't seem to know how to split Ascend into uh, two things at a time. So I'm looking at serving and exalting the Lord, but um, hopefully we'll see that there's a very good reason why we're doing it in these pairs. They fit so well together. So I'm going to read from the Word. It's um, page 1020, if you want to follow it in your Bibles. It's John 13, 1 to 17. John 13, 1 to 17, and it's Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I like the um, life application version here that says um, Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. The whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. You call me teacher, Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So um, this was the beginning of the end for Jesus. He knew that um, his life was soon going to be over on the earth and he chose to do what I think probably any of us would do he chose to spend his last few hours with the people that meant a lot to him and um, not just to spend time with them but he actually spent time ministering to them and um, I think it's worth remembering that the disciples were just as imperfect as we are they'd had three years of training they'd spent three years watching Jesus and observing him but they still had so far to go and of course Jesus knew that Um, he knew that one of them was going to betray him. Um, He knew that one of them was going to disown him very shortly, and he knew that all of them, even for a short time, 
would desert him. But he, he still loved them, and he wanted to show them um, his love. As it says in verse 1, he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. So this next slide is just an image of um, Jesus uh, washing the disciples' feet. Um, so he used it to teach them, but I think it was so more than just teaching them. Um, Jesus was a gifted teacher. If he wanted to just teach them about um, service, he could have got one of the household servants to come in and wash the feet and taught about it. Or as a master storyteller, he could have quite easily told a parable. But um, Jesus chose to be practical about it and get involved. And um, he wanted to do it as a genuine act of love. I wonder how we would be ready to show an act of love towards people that we knew would disown us very shortly in our hour of need. And it was a two-way process, as it says on the next slide. Um, it gets round to Peter's turn, and uh, Peter had something to say about it. He had something to say about quite a few things, Peter, didn't he? And he said, no, Lord, you're never, never going to wash my feet. He was, um, I suppose he was proud in a way. He didn't think it was right that Jesus should wash his feet. But Jesus was quite stern, and he rebuked him, didn't he? Um, and I wonder if sometimes we're not very good at accepting things. I've written um, a few things down here. Let me, uh, let me know if you think this resonates with you. Um, have you ever said this? Someone says to you, let me help you. No, 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 I'm all right. I can do it. You ever said that? Someone's brought you a present. Oh, you shouldn't have. How about accepting co- compliments? You look nice today. Well, do I feel all right, mess. That's a nice coat, is it? Oh, it's only cheap. <laughs> we actually know friends that say these things, don't we? So <laughs> and I think sometimes we just need to graciously learn to say thank you and accept things. And um, I think this principle of two-way things applies to so many things in Scripture. You know, God has made a way to forgive our sins, but we need to accepts that forgiveness. And what about the Lord's Prayer? What does that say? Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. There's lots of things that are a two-way process. Um, By the way, I've got many weaknesses, but I'm quite good at accepting things. So if anyone's thinking of showering me with gifts after the service, that's uh, (laughs) absolutely fine. Uh, However, um, Jesus' point here isn't mainly about accepting things. Jesus' main point here is about carrying out acts of service. In verse 15 of that passage we read, it says, I've set an example that you should do what I have done for you. And verse 17 says, Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I quite like the quotes that I found on the next slide, please, Tom, um, about talents. Use the talents you possess, for the woods would be very silent if no birds sang except the best. And um, Jesus encourages us to use our gifts, doesn't he? He actually does more than that. He actually demands that we use our gifts. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Um, Some had one talent, some had two, five, whatever it was. Um, But the one that had one talent, he didn't do anything with that. He went away and buried it. And in the story, the master calls that servant wicked and lazy because he doesn't use his talent. And um, I don't know if you think you're a five-talent person or a one-talent person, but actually that's, that's not the point. Uh, what Jesus is interested in is that whatever we've got, we use in his service. 
So very briefly then, how does this fit in with exalting the Lord? Um, the next slide shows what I immediately think of when exalting the Lord or glorifying God. I think of worship um, and singing and playing instruments. So is that exalting the Lord? Is that glorifying God? Well, yeah, of course it is, but there's so much more to it than that. Um, the next slide shows the verse that I'm going to refer to from John 17, verse 4. And this is Jesus praying to God the Father. He says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And that's true worship. True worship is everything we do. It's our whole lives. It's fulfilling the role that God gave us to do. It's about using our talents and serving each other. So let's serve each other. Let's use our talents and let's exalt the Lord together. We're going to sing again. Um, And this song reminds us that Jesus is the perfect model for us to follow in service, as in all things. Let's stand and sing the Servant King. Please sit down. So we've seen already how Jesus' life is a great example of how to really live out those values of ascent. We've seen how he attracted the outsider. He's seen, we've seen how he wasn't afraid to challenge the uncommitted, sometimes in a gentle way. And uh, actually, if you read the New Testament, sometimes in, in quite a forceful way, he challenged those that were uncommitted. We've seen how despite the fact he was the king of heaven, worthy of all praise, worthy of all the exalting we can offer, yet he still stooped low to be a servant, to serve those who uh, he came to save. And we're now going to go on and look at how Jesus is a good example of nurturing um, disciples and helping in developing the gifts. So thanks, Tom. I think there's no better picture of Jesus' message around nurturing than the discourse that he had with Peter. After Peter had disowned him three times, Jesus didn't say, you're worthless. (laughs) You know, I can't be doing with you because you can't even stand up for me when the going gets rough. No, instead, he had a real heart-to-heart with him and showed him just what he had in store for Peter. I'm just going to read that passage from John 21 now. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? 
He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, if you look at the original text, there's some slight nuances on the words that Jesus actually used to describe the instructions for uh, uh, that uh, Peter was to, to follow. Feeding my lambs was very much about taking care of those who are vulnerable. Give them, if you like, the infant milk that they need to grow up. Feed my lambs. Help them grow up to maturity. The taking care of sheep was to oversee, to kind of pastor them, to lead them. Just as uh, a shepherd would do, lead his sheep. And the third one, although some translations say, feed my sheep, it was very much about giving them that ability, that kind of pasture where they can grow, where they can get all the nourishment that they need to develop um, from lambs into full-grown sheep. And it's really kind of interesting that um, Jesus and and the Bible uses the uh, analogy of people with sheep. I don't know if you've uh, kind of ever come across sheep before, been close to them, but they're pretty dumb animals, really. I had a friend who was a farmer um, when I used to live up in Newcastle, and regularly I would go and visit him, and we would take care of the sheep and help the lambs being birthed and uh, um, dip them in, uh, in all the stuff to take all the nasties out of their fleeces. And they are stupid sheep. They really are. They will do everything they can not to get help. They will run. They will get themselves tangled up in barbed wire fences. They'll stick their heads through gaps where they're just not meant to go and get themselves stuck. They are silly. And what a good example and a parable that is of us sometimes. We kind of do everything but open ourselves up to the nurturing that we need. And this whole instruction around nurturing, this whole um, kind of concept, is very much a two-way one. As a church, we can offer the opportunities to, for people to be nurtured, to grow. We can offer um, you know, the food, the, um, uh, the spiritual um, kind of guidance that, that is needed. But if people won't accept it, then they won't grow. So we have a responsibility as disciples to... Uh, Um, to accept that nurturing, to be prepared to take the food, to be prepared to be led to grow into maturity. So what did Jesus do when he nurtured his disciples? I think there's uh, um, some really great examples of, if you look throughout the life of Jesus, how he gave his disciples teaching that they could understand. He didn't give them stuff that was hard to digest. He gave them, if you like, the spiritual milk. He talked to them in parables so that um, they could kind of dwell on it, understand it, and learn it. He walked with them. He led them. He went to where the people were to teach them. And most importantly, he left us with his Holy Spirit to be with us, to, if you like, pastor his sheep, to look after them. So what do we have to do? What is our responsibility as a church to nurture? 
I think there's uh, many things really, but first and foremost is we have to stand on the word. We have to give good food, good spiritual food that allows people to grow in truth and knowledge. We have to take care of the sheep by praying for them. We have to look after them. That kind of comes back to the uh, servant-hearted piece as well. We need to protect them, to provide a a safe environment for people to grow uh, in knowledge. So, nurturing the disciples. Which leads on to developing the gifts. Because in nurturing, we need to ensure that people's gifts are developed. We all have gifts. As Phil said, whether it's we're a one-talent person or a five-talent person. We have gifts that are there to be used. And there's a passage in Luke that I think nicely sums up what Jesus did to help his disciples develop their gifts. And it's the passage when Jesus chose 72 and sent them out to do his work. So I'm going to read from Luke 9:37. But as we go through this, I want you to listen carefully for the things that either helped development of the gifts or hindered them, because there are both in this passage. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me uh, welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. 
But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the, bury, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service, service in the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send our workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But if you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. He who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. But he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Next slide, please, Tom. So there are a few things that kind of really jumped out at me in that passage, long passage as it was, but it spoke massively to me of how Jesus helped develop the gifts of the disciples. First of all, he demonstrated. He showed how to cast out demons. He gave them clear instructions as to what they were to do, to do when they went into various towns and cities and various homes. But as we go through that story, we see some of the challenges that those that were having their gifts developed were encountering and the mixed responses that they brought. I hope you picked up that some of them said, do you know what, I've got other things to do. <laughs> I'm too busy. 
now is not a convenient time. Some of them even got the message wrong, didn't they? You know, they almost misused the gifts. They went kind of too far. You know, should we send down, call to God and send down fire and destroy these people? You know, completely missed the message that Jesus was given. But Jesus said, I'm giving you authority. So even though you're scared, even though you think I can't do it, even though you think the time's not right now, Jesus gave his disciples the authority. And I don't know if you picked up, but there was a kind of physical and a spiritual instruction when they visited people. They were to heal the sick, physically deal with their needs, and then spiritually deal with their needs. So as we look at developing our gifts, we need to have that holistic view of what Jesus is calling us to do as we reach out for him into the world. We've got to be careful that we don't get tied up in saying, well, I'm the greatest, my gifts are far more important than anybody else. Because Jesus humbled uh, his disciples by bringing in a little kid and saying, look, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be like this. So no matter what gifts God wants to develop in you, humility is the key. And no matter what gifts you've been given, don't rejoice in the gifts, but rejoice in the fact that you have salvation. So, next uh, slide, please. As a church, we are the body of Christ. We all have different gifts. And if we choose not to use them, if we choose to say, not now, I'm too busy, I'm too scared, you know, time's not appropriate, give me a little bit of time, then we're missing out. I'm sure you can read for yourself Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, some to be youth leaders, some to be people who make the coffee, some to be administrators, some to be on the pastoral team, some to be prayers, some to look after the building. We're all prepared as God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, grown up, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Just as we dwell on that, we're going to uh, sing again. Let's stay seated as we uh, sing this beautiful prayer, uh, words from the prayer of Jabez. Oh, that you would bless me. Could we have the uh, next slide, please, Tom? So I hope as we've gone through It's helped put into context 
some of the purpose statement, the mission that we have as a church to grow up in Jesus and to reach out for him. And I hope you've seen that the life of Jesus just pours forth great examples of how we should meet that out in our ascend statement. Attracting the outsider, serving the community in which we live, being prepared to speak out for him and challenge those that are uncommitted. Be sure that in everything we do, we exalt God through our lives, through our worship, through what we do, through our work, everything. That we can be a place, a community that allows nurturing of disciples as they grow up and develop and allow them to develop the gifts that God has given. And the whole thing is a cycle, isn't it? You can jump in that circle wherever you want, but the important thing is that we grow up and we produce new babies to feed, to nurture, to develop gifts so that they may go out and challenge and bring new babies who are nurtured and developed. Because the most important instruction that Jesus gave before he left us was go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What a huge commission that is. What a huge responsibility. And that's the responsibility we as a church have to grow up in Jesus and to reach out for him. Our final song is a bit of a golden oldie, but a great song, wonderful words. I want to walk with Jesus Christ every day I live my life. Dear Lord, that is our prayer. We want our lives to reflect yours. We want to give you full control. We want to read your word. We want to absorb it. We want to live it out. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you. So Lord, I pray that as a church, you would help us grow up in you and reach out for you. In Jesus' name, amen.